0: listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Well, welcome again to another episode of Meet and Write. We're excited once again to have with us Dr. Ramez Mechiel. Dr. Ramez received his PhD in theology from the University of Vienna and is currently a postdoctoral associate at Yale University Institute of Sacred Music. He studies Eastern liturgical traditions, focusing on the Coptic Alexandrian traditions. At Yale, he is preparing his doctoral dissertation for publication, entitled The Presentation of the Lamb, a historical and theological analysis of the Prothesis and Preparatory Rites of the Coptic Liturgy. This work investigates the historical development of the rite of Prothesis in the Coptic Liturgy, in which the bread and wine for the Eucharist are prepared by placing them on the altar accompanied by the appropriate prayers and chants. Well, Ramas, thank you again for being with us today uh, for the next episode uh, as we kind of dive deeper into the Prothesis. Thank you for having me once again, Michael. It's, it's a great to be here and I'm glad to be here with you guys. So, we kind of talked about, you know, different parts of the Prothesis, um, which again, can you remind all our listeners, what is that? What is a Prothesis? Because we kind of, it's not a word that we usually hear. Certainly, and I agree. We don't really use that word often, as often as we should, anyway. Um,
1: It is the part of the liturgy uh, that we typically call the offertory in in our vernacular uh, uh, liturgical language. It's the part that starts when the priest uh, begins to select the offering from the basket of of the orban, and it lasts until the covering of the altar by the prosphereen, and then the priest pronouncing the the
0: absolution of the servants. Okay. So, we kind of talked to the last episode how you know, one part of, of, of the prothesis is where we're actively participating in how the the bread and the wine become transformed um, by actively engaging in through the hymns. And one of the hymns that we kind of meditated on last time is, is Psalm 118, where we chant saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we kind of see two, you know, moods or two tones in that in that psalm. And what does that mean? And so we kind of talked about that last time. What we want to talk about today, Ramas, is is how, you know, this segment of the liturgy, of us celebrating the prothesis, is preparing us for something that comes afterward, or prepares us for the next segment of the liturgy. What is it preparing, and and what does that mean to us? So how does this prothesis, this segment of liturgy, what is it preparing us for, or, or what does it lead into for the next part of the liturgy?
1: So one of the beautiful things about our Orthodox liturgy, and I've seen this Michael, in, in, in many traditions, not just our Coptic tradition, is that there's this hidden uh, movement that is happening from the very beginning to the very end. In other words, the liturgy is a kind of ascent that takes us, takes us step by step from uh, entering the church, from the world into the realm of, of, of the heavenly and um, kind of purifying us, getting us ready. Um, for example, liturgy of the word purifying our minds, uh, 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 enlightening us with the knowledge of the word of God, and then leading us further into uh, professing his faith, the creed, uh, the kiss of peace, our reconciliation together, and leading all the way up until we finally partake of the body and blood of the Lord. So there's this, always this kind of progression that takes place in the divine liturgy when we uh, gather for it. And one of the ways that the prothesis does this um, is to remind the priest that he himself is not um, necessarily worthy or able, on his own merit, to approach the altar of God with its, with all of its holiness, with all of its awe, and and to to perform these awesome rituals um, on behalf of the community, mm. and that he is only doing so by God's grace and by God's mercy, and he is you know in need of of forgiveness as as well as anybody else. Yeah. So you'll see a lot of minor. Uh, ritual gestures throughout the prothesis that are meant to emphasize this fact, whether it, it, they are visible rituals that everybody also can see and, and understand as such, or if they are secret prayers that the priest prays for himself. So one of the things, for example, is that the priest would wash their hands before they start selecting the offertory. Mm-hmm. Now the washing of the hand is a very ancient gesture. And it's originally found, and it's still also found uh, there uh, before the anaphora itself. So today, if you look at the Coptic liturgy, you'll see that the priest washes his hands twice. Once before the prothesis, before selecting the uh, the offering, and once again before the anaphora during the Crete. That time that he does it before the anaphora is the older one, and it's mentioned even as far back as the fourth century in the homilies of St. Cyril of uh, Jerusalem. Mm. And St. Cyril of Jerusalem makes it very clear what this is all about, Uh, and he says we don't wash our hands because we are filthy physically, but because we have to be purified spiritually before approaching God. It's a reminder of the cleanliness that we have to have on the inside. Mm. And so the Coptic liturgy prepares us this way as well, when we see the priest washing his hands we are reminded that even the priest who may seem you know holy and kind of uh living holy life and uh, you know especially our clergy with with their with their vestments and their their cassocks and their black clothes and all that it, you may get the impression sometimes that oh he lives on a different plane yeah. but but it's a reminder for us that even abuna uh, is in need of that cleansing just as we are as well mm. and and when he cleanses his hands we are all supposed to be cleansing our minds and our hearts as well. And so that's one one time he does it. Mm -hmm. The other time is more verbal, although it's not heard very much. During the so-called preparation of the altar, uh, the preparation of the altar is when the priest stands and and kind of places everything in its proper place. And and it usually takes place during matins or sometimes before or after matins even. Um, During that time, he's praying uh, the secret prayers that are called the prayers of the preparation of the altar. And there are two prayers, but the great thing about them is that they both emphasize the same thing. And so the first prayer, for example, kind of emphasizes the priest's unworthiness, and it says, O Lord, who knows the hearts of everyone, the Holy One, and who rests in His saints, who alone is without sin, and with whom there is power to forgive sins, you, O Master, know my unworthiness, my unpreparedness, and my insufficiency unto this your holy service and I do not have the face to draw near to open my mouth before your holy glory." But then he asks for the following petition, "'Grant me to find grace and mercy at this hour, and send unto me power from on high, that I may begin and prepare and fulfill your holy service as is pleasing to you, according to the pleasure of your will.'" Mm-hmm. And so, at, at the same time, we have this paradox. I am aware that I am unworthy, that I am completely uh, bereft of, of grace, and that I'm in need of God's forgiveness, but that I'm also hopeful and I have this boldness and confidence that God will grant me the grace of the Holy Spirit. Um, And yes, it's worded in the first person, in in, in the singular person, just for the priest, but the same applies to all of us. We all stand before God uh, unworthy and in need of His forgiveness, but we're also joyful and hopeful and, and we know, kind of trusting in our Father in heaven, that he grants us the mercy to stand before him. He grants us the mercy and the grace to, to be worthy of his uh, divine body and our blood. And and those who you know find this prayer in the, in the liturgy book would find that the second prayer as well does the same thing where it asks for the same things, but in, in different words. And so the Prothesis Rite is not just about uh, placing the bread and the wine on the altar. It's not just about the priest selecting uh, a perfectly baked uh, Orban or about us chanting some hymns. It's uh, its also about preparing us spiritually, mentally, uh, into entering into this mystery of mysteries. To, and it prepares us for that by making us aware of our own uh, unworthiness and, and need of grace.
0: Yeah, Ramas, I mean, you bring a good point that, you know, even though the priest might be praying these prayers inaudibly, that we can't just watch him do this and watch him uh, just wash his hands and, and think that's just a Buena doing it, that's just a priest thing. But it should be a reflection a reminder for us that we need to wash ourselves and realize that, like you mentioned, we do have the boldness to come to Christ, but at the same time, we're unworthy for, for all the love, is unlimited love and grace that he gives us. But at the same time, we can come to him, uh, come to his table um, with boldness. Something else that we see, Rama's in the, in the prothesis um, part of the liturgy is that after the priest is choosing the Orban that will be chosen to be the body, he takes it, he brings it back to the altar, and we kind of see him, you know, in some way kind of, you know, kneel toward it, and we see him do certain types of inaudible prayers. Um, and sometimes, you know, we hear deacons uh, kind of completing these prayers or, or singing a certain hymn. Alleluia, or what is the priest actually doing at that time when he's kind of kneeling, but kind of holding uh, that holy bread as well? So it's it's interesting that you mentioned that
1: because it's one of the most profound parts of, of the prothesis or the profound elements of what's happening in the prothesis rite. Remember that in the early church, um, that Bread offering was not simply bread that was baked on the church premises by by just one person. These were this this was one of the many offerings that were brought to the church by the people, mm. and so it had this kind of direct physical connection to the very people that were standing in the congregation at the time. Which is why, incidentally, we pray many times for those who are offered the gifts, um, and many times in the liturgy. So. Um, the beautiful thing is that nowadays w- when the priest is standing at the altar after selecting this perfect, perfectly baked uh, urban, uh, he's commemorating, he is uh, remembering all those who he wishes to pray for, hmm. uh, whether they are people that, that are in his life that, that maybe have passed away, maybe are uh, in sickness of some sort, maybe they're going through various problems. Uh, it could be people that ha- the congregation has asked the priest to pray for uh it could be departed hierarchs departed bishops and other priests or it could be even living other priests that you know uh, they share an ordination anniversary or they are brothers in the priesthood on on some level and um, he wishes to remember them
0: yeah uh, at at my church i see that our priest has the list of all the diocese priests and he kind of goes through them and i see him kind of recite he recites those names of the priests. That's that that's a beautiful practice, and it's, it's, a, it's the first time that I hear of this.
1: Of course, there are many various local traditions that take place in our churches, yeah. and, and that's exactly going to the heart of, of the point that I wish to make, and that um, there is a very strong emphasis on our ecclesiology when it comes to the prothesis rite. Yeah. The fact that the priest is holding this one uh, coherent or, or one complete, undivided orban in His hand, and that this loaf of bread will become eventually the body of Christ through the descent of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, he is uniting the entire community uh, through His voice and through His one prayer that He's offering to God to remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, he remembers both living, and that so he's connecting the church here on earth with the church in heaven as one church, not just not two churches. Uh, and the fact that he would commemorate, like you said, um, all the, the priests in the diocese, which emphasizes the fact to everybody that are aware of this, that we are all one church. We're not a, a separate uh, you know, group of churches that happen to be in one state or in, in a, a few different states, but we are all one church under one bishop in in one communion of faith and in one communion of love, and that's another thing that we can learn, I think, from from the Protestant rite on our personal level, mm-hmm. that it kind of uh, reinforces from the very beginning our unity as one family, as as uh, members of the one body of Christ. And if we take that to heart, I think our interactions with 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 others in church and outside of church uh, are, are going to be very different. When if we really take into heart. Um, the fact that we are united in this one loaf of bread. A lot of early um, Eucharistic texts that we have from the early church, like the Didache, that is called The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, um, and others as well, kind of mention that fact in the anaphoral prayer itself. And it says, uh, and I I kind of paraphrase, uh, uh, and it prays to God and it says, as uh, the grains of wheat are scattered and then are brought together into one Uh, May your church be gathered into your kingdom now and ever unto ages of all ages. Uh, We don't have the same, you know, prayer in our liturgy today, but it kind of captures the same point that just as the one loaf of bread is made out of millions of, uh, you know, little grains of wheat that are crushed together and made into one loaf, we also as a community are united as one uh one uh, community as the body of christ
0: and i love that because it also reminds us that that time and space cannot separate us i mean if our heavenly father is above time and space so is you know our celebration of the eucharist like there's nothing like we're outside of, of of time so for us to be praying all together as one body um regardless of where we are you know it's it's another reminder that the church gives us that there's nothing that can separate us that we're all Mystically in that moment celebrating the Eucharist. There's a lot of riches in our tradition Michael in in both the
1: rites What Abuna does with his hands and also uh, What he recites through the prayers of the church if we just take the time and and delve into uh, this richness with humility and with a an attitude of uh, Wanting to learn
0: and wishing to to
1: grow in Christ because of them.
0: Well Ramaz you brought a lot of great uh, depth and and profound meditation on 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 the rites and rituals of, of the liturgy that we kind of celebrate, but we never really think about. Uh, and you brought great light to the prothesis. Uh, me, myself, first of all, have never really thought about this stuff. So we really thank you, Ramis, for for your time um, on meditating and kind of giving us uh, some background of some of these rites. So thank you again, Ramis.
1: Thank you, Michael. And and thank you for the opportunity to share with you the, the few things that that God has, has shared with me about the tradition of our church.
0: You have been listening to me and Write, for more episodes and resources, make sure to check out com.